Hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. You like puzzles, right? I do. You like programming puzzles, right? I really do. Like a new one every day? That's fantastic. Well, have I got something for you. Let's do a podcast about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to Hacking the Gibson, the podcast where we talk about programming, but hopefully in a way that everybody enjoys. And today we're going to talk about the advent of code. If you don't know what an advent calendar is, it's basically one of those things that starts on December 1st and goes to Christmas. And each day, I don't know, you get to open up a little window in a box and you get candy or my... Uh, my daughter has uh, a Lego one, so she gets a new Lego. Oh, that's cool! Thingy every day. Oh, I know. I kid me is jealous. Actually yeah, told me is jealous. We just had a felt thing that you moved it for counting down. I didn't get stuff. Yeah, yeah, you kind of <laughs> missed out. Uh, well, at least in 2021, I think Advent yeah. calendars are, you know. So my daughter's getting like full on like things out of the Advent calendar thing that Ashley put together. So. Yeah. Well, actually, I think we have four Advent calendars. Ooh. We have the Lego Advent calendar. We have the regular one that you just put little like magnetic yes. ornaments on. We have the Seize Candy one. Ooh. So candy every day. And we have a Advent calendar of wine. From Costco. So every day is a new bottle of wine. Why Why don't I have that one? You should have that one, because if you <laughs> like wine, it's a decent deal. Yeah. We're not huge on wine, and we actually kind of fell off that, but yeah. uh, in general. Um, so, so we're doing our own advent calendar here which is, that, we, that we've been participating in, which is the advent of code. That's right. How would you describe the advent of code? Uh, so it's like a programming contest, right, where you get... A, a problem to solve that you should use, that you're most likely going to use programming to get to the answer with. It would be hard to do by hand, not impossible. Um, Never consider that, actually. Yeah. And, you know, you get a, a new problem every day, 25 days worth, mm-hmm. right? If you're really into the com- competitive side of it, you want to try to get to it as early as possible and answer it as quickly as possible to get the most points. Because... You, like the first hundred people that answer it get points based on their relative ranking. Mm-hmm. And there's two, there's actually two problems every day. There's the first problem that comes out, which is like setting up the scenario. And we should go into the scenarios in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, setting up the scenario and giving you kind of a, not necessarily easy, but a, a more standard problem kind of going into it. Like make sure you understand how to parse this input and get some sort of valid answer out. Mm-hmm. It like sets you up usually for the second part of the problem. Um, and then the second part of the problem is usually a little bit more complicated, usually a little bit more computer science-y or math-y. Mm-hmm. And, so you, and the goal is to get 50 stars, mm-hmm. and you get a star for each problem you answer, and there's 25 days with two problems each. Yeah, so you basically get a file full of data, generally a bunch of numbers, and then you have to bring that into some kind of programming language, then you have to read that data, and then you have to create some kind of algorithm, which is basically like a set of rules that modify that data or observe something about it and then output an answer, like the sum of your data that you create or something like that. And the first part is generally kind of figuring out the basic algorithm of how they want you to take the input and change it to an output. So, so I, I guess the basic idea of this is you're like in a submarine yeah. and you're, you're going down into the water and the very first problem is you get a list of um, like, like depth numbers and so, and, and they're and they're generally increasing, but not always. And you essentially have to write an algorithm that says, okay, 
tell me how many times that the depth increases from say like 199 to 200 and if it doesn't ignore it and then at the end you tell them you know what the answer is and that's your answer for you know that particular problem uh and then as you go along they encounter other things in the submarine like whales octopuses lantern fish all sorts of things yeah i I have to say that steam vents yeah yeah hydrothermal uh, steam vents i have to say in general the theming and the website and the way they track everything and each problem and you know it's like a big word problem but they explain things really well they give you a test input which is generally very small and then the real input which is generally much bigger and so one of the things that i've struggled with in this is when you get from the easy input to the hard input some of the later problems require you to be much more optimal and efficient about the way you're doing it matt can you explain like the difference between you know kind of like an efficient algorithm and brute forcing something sure uh so there's, there's a concept in computer science of, of big o notation which really is just a, a fancy way of saying how complex is the uh is the algorithm you're using relative to the size of the data, right? So if if it takes time proportional, exactly proportional to the data set that you're bringing, that you're reading in, it's linear, right? Big O of N. And that's generally speaking, relatively efficient. You're usually not going to get more efficient than big O of N because that's read everything at least once, right? Mm-hmm. And then do something with it. And that's most machines, most problems, that's going to be handled fine. The more problematic ones are when you start doing... So that, that would be like a loop. And then the more problematic ones are where you have like a nested loop that's going over it twice and you have something. So if your data size is size n, you have an n squared algorithm that takes n squared time. The more data you have, it goes up exponentially. So it takes more and more time, the bigger your data set. And then even worse, if it's like two to the n. So the bigger your data set is, if that becomes the exponent, you're just blowing up the time complexity. Mm-hmm. So most of these have like their worst complexity seems to be basically a double for loop you know so n squared and mm-hmm. cubed i think is the worst one i saw like essentially having to iterate over like a grid of numbers like you need to know the row and the column right yeah and so it's like basically for every number in my data set if i have to look at all the other numbers for each number mm. that's going to take a long time mm-hmm. and so the more that it sort of expands out into that the more you have to worry about efficiency Mm -hmm. Um, so there's one where you're trying to find the lowest point on the seafloor, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And so you have to look at all the, all the surrounding adjacent areas. You're only looking at say four other spots for every one thing. Mm -hmm. But if you had to look at all of them Mm -hmm. as you do in clean the diagonals, yeah, right. Then it becomes more problematic. Right. Or if you're trying to find the second step of that problem set is in fact, find where you are the lowest point for a group, what they call a basin. So you actually have to look at a wider set than just the four. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, it could be the entire board. So if you're doing that for every single floor space, then you run into problems of your computer will never finish this. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the one that currently has me stymied is day six, which is finding out the algorithm to uh, predict how many fish, lantern fish, that you're going to have by the end of a certain amount of days, starting with a set of fish. So you start with five fish, and you want to know, and they and they populate using a certain method, and you have to figure out like in eighty days how many fish will there be. And the first part of that problem was you could brute force it, which basically meant like take your fish and look at every single fish every single day yep. and iterate on it. 
Uh, but when they then ask you to, to go out to 256 days, uh, hey, guess what? I started running that at midnight one night, and it wasn't done by 8 a.m. the next morning. So right. what that means is that you cannot brute force that method by literally checking every single data point every single because day. Because your data set is growing exponentially. Exponentially, right. So you're doing a linear, uh, you're, you're looking at it linearly a certain number of times, but it's growing exponentially. So yeah, it, it, if it takes you a second to go through it the first time, then it's going to take you two seconds and then four seconds mm -hmm. and then eight, 16, and it grows real fast. Yeah, like basically if you use that, you won't be done before advent of code is over. Right. And uh, so... I need to go back and figure out a better way to keep track of what's happening that doesn't require me to look at every fish every day. And so that's that, that's kind of the difference between an efficient algorithm and just brute forcing it. Like, mm -hmm. like you said, one way you... So you do have the choice of doing these problems in any programming language. Yep. Uh, now, something like the efficiency of your algorithm, though, it probably doesn't matter which one you choose because it's it doesn't still particularly. It's CPU... Perform yeah. clock cycles that have to run no matter what. Yeah. If you had a supercomputer with, <laughs> with nigh infinite resources, you could brute force all of these quickly enough where it wouldn't matter. Right. Um, but then I wouldn't be learning the lesson. Really. You wouldn't be learning the lesson. You yeah. would be learning how to use that system. But also, those basically don't exist. They right. do... But not for not for plebeians like ourselves, right? Right. And th this is the advent of code, not the advent of hardware. The the, the solution exactly. is not to throw more hardware at the problem; right. it's to be better at software. Right. Yeah. And so, so I had a question for you, Matt, mainly because I I started doing advent of code because a, a mutual friend of ours said he was doing it, and I'm like, oh, one of those programming challenges. You know, I've never really done one of those before. This is not something I've done as a web programmer by trade and largely by fun. I, web programming does not do a lot of these kinds of problems. No, it doesn't. And so I am supremely rusty and behind on a lot of these, but I still find it fun. But I know that Matt, you weren't you weren't uh, interested right away. So I'm I'm curious what drew you in. So I love these kind of things. Okay. In college, I was on our programming contest team mm -hmm. where they would send a group of us to a, a like regional college and we would compete in actually more difficult problem sets than this. You'd have, say, five hours and six problems and usually we got like two done mm -hmm. um, and they were really hard generally. And you had to do them by hand? And you, I mean, you wrote code okay. to do them, but like it was... It was non-trivial right. to do that. These these would be our like sample pro problems, like the kind <laughs> that are in here, okay. um, to kind of give you that idea. But I really enjoy that kind of challenge. Yeah. And uh, I used to actually coach that that team. Like after I graduated, I came back and mm -hmm. I was still helping them with that because it's it's a fun problem. Yeah. So I really like this. But when you told me about this, I looked at the problems and I went, "I'm not gonna have time for that." <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't even sign up for it for about a week. Mm -hmm. And then I had some downtime and I blew through all seven problems in a day one day and now I'm kind of hooked. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had asked a question. Yeah. And I, I, I wanted to see what the problem was right. so that I could help you answer it. And then mm -hmm. I was like, well, now I want to do this. Yeah. It, 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 it is addictive, probably just because we both like solving problems. And it's it's funny that, that you say these are kind of the sample problems because... I think your background in programming has uh, prepared you better for these kinds of challenges, whereas for me, I'm so rusty that I'm struggling on them. Uh, but I still find them fun, and, and I know that, you know, my initial reaction when I get to, like, a problem that I can't solve right away is definitely, like, 
am, you know, should I even be doing this? Like, do, do I have the ability to do this? I, I have to look at that as a, you know, this is a growing thing for me. This is an improving thing for me. Yeah. Like, if it's not, it's not a, like, if I could do them all immediately with no issue, then that would mean that, you know, th- that I'm not really getting much out of it. Yeah. Well, and I've yeah. been asked questions like this in interviews yeah. for jobs before. Mm-hmm. I've asked questions like this. Yeah. Uh, because they're none of them are necessarily testing your like deep computer science knowledge. There's been a couple of things where there was like some mildly obscure math thing that you probably haven't done since high school, or mm-hmm. uh, there was one of the more like the way to get to more efficiency on the problem was really to do a divide and conquer or like a binary search. And you know if you aren't versed in those kind of things, those will be harder. Mm-hmm. But in general, they're really just data processing. And can you? write an algorithm that will do this thing, especially mm-hmm. the first star on each day is generally that. Mm-hmm. I've hired, I, I've interviewed senior engineers who couldn't do some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the backgrounds that we have respectively on this are definitely, you know, it's coming at it. It's definitely aimed for more like people like me mm-hmm. than the stuff that you do. But you've actually been doing a remarkably good job of, mm-hmm. of staying on. You've gotten answers to almost every day, I think, yeah. so far. Yeah. Um, but it just takes me a lot longer, and I think I over-engineer the problem. And Well, I also wanted to say, first a question, what language are you using to do your problems in? So I'm doing Python. Okay, now why did you choose that? I like Python. I like I enjoy programming in Python. I think we talked about that in our programming language one. But also I just happen to know it best, so mm-hmm. I can write quickly in that. Right. And it's got the interpreter, so when I when I want to try something out, I don't have to run my entire code. I can just drop into the interpreter and like, how does a filter work again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I've So I've been doing them in Ruby, uh, which is basically like my version of Python yeah. in terms of like the interpreted language that I did a lot of work in it before. Although I will say that probably at least 30% of my time is spent like, wait, how does Ruby do this again? <laughs> you know, and looking up methods and remembering how it works because... My day job is largely JavaScript, and so I I think like that, and I have to stop and think like Ruby. But when I do know what I'm doing again in Ruby, I love writing it, probably in the same way that people like writing Python. It's yeah. just, it's so fluid, and, and you don't have all of the cruft of something yeah. like C. Uh, you know, just, just remembering to do like, you know, oh, one of my favorite things about Ruby is is ranges, which I, does Python have ranges? Yep. Yeah, where you just like, okay, I just need to count from zero to nine, you know, zero dot dot nine each do a thing. And I know in other languages, like there's more syntax cruft that you have to put around that. Yeah. So it will take it. Whereas Ruby just seems like it's yeah. like meant for doing this kind of program. Yeah. And like Ruby, you could do like nine dot times do, mm-hmm. <laughs> do something nine times. I love that. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of thing is great. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to do. So when you and I first talked about advent of code, one of the things I had looked at was I, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to actually become a halfway decent uh, node JavaScript TypeScript developer. Mm-hmm. So I thought about this would be a great way for me to do that. Mm-hmm. But that's what stopped me originally was because oh. that would take too much time because mm-hmm. I'd be trying to learn the language and solve the problem at the same time. Right. What I'll probably do is after the advent of code is done, go through and try to solve some of these problems using that language mm-hmm. Now that I've already done it in Python, right. so I've solved the problem, I understand it, and then I can tackle the problem of, okay, how does this ridiculous programming language work again? <laughs> have, have you done much, uh, I, I forget what the technical term is, but essentially converting a program in one language to another? A fair amount. Translation not, or whatever? Not, not a ton. 
Yeah. Um, it's usually not a great idea, but I, I've had to do it a couple times. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's usually like a one-time process. Like, I wrote it over here, and I need to take that, and we're retiring that language, and we're moving over to something else, or I want to move this in. Mm-hmm. And so then, yeah, you do you translate more often I've done cross compilation, which is you write it in one language and it compiles for some platform oh, right, and yeah. then another platform. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm mean, going to assume if, cause I don't know Python well, and this would have been, this seems like a perfect time to do it. I could switch languages mid challenge, but I'm also thinking like, is Python different enough to really, you know, if I get it in Ruby and then I try to change it to Python, is it really going to be that? Um, I think those, I, I think that, that, you know, two sides of the same coin on that one. Mm. Every programming language is its own tool. Yeah. <laughs> and using the right tool for the job is important. Both Ruby and Python, and actually most of the languages that I've seen people seem to be doing, are good at doing like string manipulation and data processing mm-hmm. and not even not necessarily efficiently or not, but simply from the programmer side of the world, it's it's easy. If I had to do some of this stuff in C, it would be a lot harder because I'd have to deal with because uh, its string manipulation libraries uh, are not great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very nice way of putting that. Uh, I saw your mouth move in a different direction, but uh, started with the not great. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm curious what what is what was like so far. We're on day eleven, so mm-hmm. we've seen eleven problems. I've seen at least the first half of all of them. You've seen the second half of all of them. Which ones jump out at you as being like the most interesting or fun or whatever? So one of the problems I found most interesting was number nine. Right. This is one where you enter this like subterranean cave and it's covered in lava tubes. You're trying to find your way through it so that you don't get hit by lava, I guess, or smoke or something. Yeah, There's some yeah. weird thing. And so what they do is they basically gave you a, a height map of the floor. Find... What, what, what is a height map, though? It's just a 10 by 10 grid or however big the floor is. And it just has numbers for each spot. And it says like zero to nine, I think. And zero is lowest. Where zero is the lowest and nine is the highest. Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to find the low points so you don't like run into the lava tubes. Right. Right. Because your navigation is bad. I don't know. Yeah. Um, A lot of problems in in your your submersible. Yeah. Our submarine is, is... it was definitely built by the lowest bidder. <laughs> um, so you're trying to find the low points in every like area. So like where are the local low points. And so the first part of that is literally just that. Just go through and for every square or see, is it the lowest point of its neighbors? Mm-hmm. And not even worrying about diagonals. And then the second step of that is like, okay, great. You found the low points. What are all the places that like drain into that? The basin, they called it. And that became way more complicated. And so one of the things I really liked about this was actually the way that I debugged it and what that looked like. Because mm-hmm. I'm printing out a little map of it. So I got the height map and, you know, it's just text. So I started to color code it. So the low points I made red and then the the basin areas I made green and it ends up kind of looking very Christmassy. <laughs> Is that why you chose those colors? I didn't even think about that those were Christmas colors. No, right? I'd made red because it stands out, and then yeah. I wanted the opposite of red for the other right. colors so that right. it, so that I could easily distinguish it, and it's I happened to be to green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's fun. Yeah. Um, and I, I really enjoy that kind of thing. But this one was the second part of this was actually kind of difficult to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. I haven't got to the second part of that yet. And uh, the, the the thing that that one made me think of uh, was for some reason. So, so for uh, a couple times in my programming history i've tried to make some games and uh games have their own kind of like standard you know algorithms to to, to figure out things and and it, it immediately put me in a, in a mindset of like okay i'm a, a character that takes up a you know a one one space yep 
and every time I move to a space, I need to check, like, you know, are there any monsters around me? I.e., you know, are there any higher numbers than me? And so I was thinking about, you know, a little character moving back and forth and checking each time. And then in the one today, days 11, you know, it, it seems like a similar thing where you have somebody who's going through a grid and, you know, so I once read, um, much like we talked before, how I read the whole Swift 1.0 book just because yep. I was so excited about it. There's this one guy that, of course, I can't think of his name, but um, he wrote a game, gaming programming patterns book. Oh. And so he just goes through all of the, like, standard, because he's worked in games for a long time, and he goes through all the standard, like, like programming patterns. Like, how do you do a, like, a path finding. Yeah, pathfinding algorithms, A star and all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically just taking, you know, some data and figuring out what's the most efficient way to get from point A to point B or something. So it felt, it felt like that. And so I like that. The one that I both love and hate the most is the lanternfish one <laughs> we talked about, mainly just because like, I like the idea of, of the theme behind it, of these fish just populating and like, oh, how long do you go? Who knows how many there's going to be? And if you try to print that out, that might not work as well. Yep. Um, <laughs> but trying to find the algorithm to, you know, keep track of it is, is the apparently is my current challenge in this yeah. in this advent of code is to figure that out so and that is definitely one of the ones that you cannot just brute force right that you actually do have to think about like what is the clever way to solve this problem yeah and that's the thing is like i seem to always go into these with the brute force method without like doing the elegant method which is really most of the time you can get away with it but that one yeah. you cannot you cannot get away with it well there. and honestly that's that's not a bad thing I think something that most software engineers that I've worked with, including myself, mm -hmm. uh, have a bad habit of is over-engineering problems. You mentioned that you've done that a couple times in here as well. Uh, I, and the uh, the mutual friend of ours who's working on this as well, he and I were talking about that the other day. Like he and I both did the same thing. Mm -hmm. We were trying to be like generic with the solution to it mm -hmm. instead of just brute forcing. Yeah, or not reporting, but like go through it. Like it was, uh, oh, it was displaying digits on a. Oh, the, the seven seg segment display. Right. One. And the second yeah. part of that is like you have to use some like logic to determine which thing, which number actually is lit up right. because the wires are all crossed. Right. And so I tried to come up with like a generic way of doing that and have it kind of flow through. And then eventually what I did is I went to my whiteboard and I drew all the symbols on the board and I was like, all right. Well, if I know those four, I can figure out this one. Mm -hmm. And if I figure out this one, so it just, then it's just it, my algorithm's super long for that. Yeah. I don't like it, but it was a really interesting problem to solve. Yeah, it, 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 it seems like it's, it's very easy to, you know, try to be clever because in programming, in general, you know, you try to solve it in the most efficient way possible. Yeah. Or the it's, most elegant The most elegant. Well, and that mattered more in the old days of programming because we had fewer resources yep. and you and less space to write to write stuff because you know you're putting it on like a rom chip that only had like a few k of memory so you couldn't write you know a crazy long algorithm because it just wouldn't fit so you had to be efficient and so i feel like that's almost ingrained in us to be efficient and so anything that's long and has a lot of you know branches and if else's seems ugly well there's a practical and, reason for that too it's significantly more difficult to debug your code if you have the big, long, multiple branches thing, and if you mm -hmm. have a small, easily understood, easily diagnosed section of code, much, much easier to debug. So yeah. your maintenance on it in the long term is easier, and your understanding of it while you're writing it is easier. Do you think if you had done this challenge like 20 years ago that you would have written these differently? 
Yes, very. Like, how would you have written them differently? Would you have been more brute force and less elegant? In particular, the lanternfish one that you were talking about, I would have run into a lot of problems that I didn't have a good understanding of how best to handle things like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe 20 years ago, I was just starting to to get a better handle on that. Those kind of of problems have become more and more popular Mm -hmm. in, uh, like, on Leet Code and in programming interviews, and just sort of in general. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with more modern programming languages like Python and Java and Ruby and all those that, and and even JavaScript, that have built-in dictionaries or maps or hash maps, whatever you want to call them, and lists. And so you're not having to build up a data structure yourself Mm -hmm. because that makes the problem solving easier. Otherwise, you're going to spend the first half of this writing data structures or importing an old library that you had that did these. Yeah. And since the programming languages have them... Yeah, you, you 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 reminded me of that one C programming course I took, like between I think it was junior and senior year of high school, where we were learning how to do dynamically linked lists in yep. C. And uh, yeah, that is not something I've had it. I've needed yep. to do since then. But understanding when you should use a queue versus a stack versus a dictionary and all those things, right? That is still a really important thing. It's just much easier to do those now. Yeah. So I might have known I would really like to use a hash map for this. And 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have because it would have just been too much work. Right. And now it's built into Python. I don't have to think about it. That is nice. Do you think the last problem is going to be like, you know, the Voltron where you have to remember everything you did to create some mega program? I hope not. I, I've been I, enjoying... I feel like it might go that way. I don't know. They've, they've been pretty standalone each day. Yeah. There's some concepts that roll over, but yeah. I haven't reused any code so far. Yeah. Yeah. Other than my general templating of how to read in the lines, because I got tired of writing that. <laughs> right. It, yeah. I mean, it, it is it is nice that each program or each challenge seems to have the same kind of basic template yeah. of read in some input, do something to it, output it. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I, it. It seems like one of those things where I wish I had every day to just like work on it. Yes. But instead, I kind of clump them together where a, a day or two goes by where I don't have time to really look at it. And then I have to catch up. Yeah. You know, like if I was in college, you know. I'd probably be working on this, you know, every day as they're happening, but instead I'm just, you know, getting to them when I can. Yeah. Last night was the first night I did it as one was released. Right. I was actually online with my computer at nine o'clock right. Pacific. It helps being on Pacific because we do get it faster than the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, and and I answered both within an hour. Yeah. And I was still like almost 5,000 people in to the number of people to yeah, answer. Yeah, the, the, the earliest person did it in like four minutes. Yeah. I hadn't been done reading the actual question by that time. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Advent of Code, pretty fun, challenging, um, and a good discussion piece. Yeah, absolutely. You should check it out. All right. Yeah. So, I think it's just, you know, adventofcode.com. They've been doing it for a few years. They'll probably do more. Jump in and see how you do. Bye, everyone. Later. Later.